It's showtime. Don't say it. Please, don't say it. No, I have to say it, Mitch. Showtime. Showtime! It's showtime, everybody! Showtime! Welcome back to the Showtime Movie Podcast. I am your host, Show, as always. Thank you for listening in and being along for the ride as we discuss whatever movies are coming out. It's funny, it's now late July 2021. And when we did the last uh, the last episode of the podcast, I had said that soon, soon we'd be getting getting our butts back in theaters, right? Asses in seats would be happening once again. And you know what? Finally, finally, I got to see movies in theaters. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. I Sonic the Hedgehog had remained the last movie I had seen in theaters for too, too, too long. And finally, that is no longer the distinction. I saw two of the three movies that we're going to talk about today uh, in theaters. Space Jam, I rented the day it came out last week, last Friday. I'm recording this on a Friday, so I've seen Space Jam approximately a week ago. And uh, I recorded the review for that in the moment because what a movie, right? (laughs) I gotta say, like, what an experience. Um, And then... Uh, yeah, earlier this week, I got to see Fast 9, which had been in theaters for a while, certainly if you're listening to this in the States, but in Canada, I mean, theaters have only been reopened for a week, so I went to see Fast 9, and the new Snake Eyes movie, which came out this week, so uh, pretty uh, pretty rel- like relatively recent offerings. I will say, I've never... Like during COVID, you've done you've done things out of necessity, right? Like you've gone to get groceries, for example, or you go to fill up your car at the gas station if you if you drive a car, or I don't know, whatever. You you have to go to the doctor's office, or you go in line at the to get your driver's license renewed, or your plates renewed, whatever, right? Your health card renewed, whatever, right? It doesn't really matter. There there are tons of things you have to do out of necessity during the pandemic. And, you know, sometimes you people like the businesses and the offices and so on, they do their best to social distance, but sometimes it doesn't always happen, right? Things have gotten a little better, at least here in Canada. I hope if you're listening elsewhere, it is getting a little better for you, too. Um, But here in Canada, it has gotten much better here in Ontario, here in Toronto specifically. And it's funny to say that with all the precautions they're taking at the movie theater, I have never I have never felt safer doing something than I had been going to the movie theaters. Isn't isn't that funny? Like, when I went to go see Fast 9, I sat in a VIP movie theater, which here is, you know, reclining seats. Um, You can order the food directly to your seats. Uh, It's it's like much less people as well, right? Like, I think in every row, there's, I think, space for six people, I think. It's like pods of two in every row. And there's about, I think, six or seven rows, I want to say. And so... During the uh, during COVID, what they have done is when you pick your seats, the seats directly to your right, your left, in front of you, and behind you have been bubbled off. Like no one can sit in those seats, right? So uh, in VIP, that means a row of six is a row of four with two on one side, the two in the middle blocked off, and the two on the other side, uh, you know, also blocked off. But because I guess the Fast Nine had been out for a while, I went to go see a VIP with my old roommate, and it's funny to say that. Like, the closest people sitting to me, it was relatively full, like, for seats in there, and still the closest people were, like, 25 to 30 feet away from me, and there still weren't more than maybe, like, 
20 people in this whole room, including the two of us, right? So that was pretty cool. I got to eat popcorn. I put my mask back on once the, once the, um, I was done eating the popcorn, but I mean, I never really felt unsafe, even though you're, because I mean, the, the, even the VIP theater is a cavernous room, right? And then when I saw Snake Eyes, even more so, I mean, I would say I saw a daytime showing on a Friday, so it wasn't a lot of people to begin with, but uh, yeah, I mean, maybe like, in, including the woman and her two teenagers who were sitting in the same row as me, but like literally like, like maybe like 30 seats down, essentially, uh, including the four of us. There was maybe like eight people total in this theater that holds like what a couple hundred people because it's an IMAX theater. So, yeah, it was. Uh, I never felt unsafe. I will say uh, when I got to see Snake Eyes, some trailers were playing, and what was the trailer that was playing? But one of the kids pointed out every detail. One of the teenagers pointed out every detail and said, "Hey, mom, did you know that that guy was in this movie and that guy is actually known for being in that other movie and 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 he's going to be in another movie coming up that stars this other actor who was also in blank, right?" And the mom just kind of was like, "Oh, yeah, darling. Thanks. Thanks for t- telling me that." And all I could think of was I wasn't annoyed by any by any means. All I could think of was that's probably what I was like when I was <laughs> when I was like when I was a kid, when I was a teenager, right? Like, that kid couldn't have been more than like 13 or 14, and he by all accounts he and his sister who looked to like be the same age uh also seemed to really enjoy that movie as well. So I mean, hey, if that's what if that's what I was like, I don't apologize for it, and I hope that kid goes on to be, have a movie podcast of his own. If not, you know what? No, I take it back. Aspire for something greater, kid. If you're listening, <laughs> reach for the stars. Don't reach for uh, you know near orbit like I did <laughs> when it comes to movie stuff. No, I kid, I kid. I appreciate you all, but uh, yeah, that was it. Was just made me laugh, kind of laugh to myself. I forget. I gotta remember what what trailers I saw, but in uh, true fashion. As soon as the movie was over, I completely forgot all the trailers that I saw because, well, I mean, them's the breaks, right? So anyways, that, it, it was a fun experience being back in theaters, and I've now seen two, again, Fast 9 and Snake Eyes. But uh, to start our journey into reviews, I had this one, again, I did see at home. Uh, you know what, though? I'm kind of glad I did because I don't know what I would have appreciated spending even more money on popcorn and stuff to see a movie of this caliber. Ooh, right? Well, it probably gives you some idea of the quality of this movie. But either way, let's talk about it. The review for Space Jam, A New Legacy. All right, look, if you know me and if you have seen this movie, you knew this clip was going to be in it, essentially, right? Like, you knew this clip was going to make it to the podcast. I was very lucky to have been able to record it. Uh, but yeah, there you go. It's Showtime actually appearing in Space Jam, A New Legacy. And look, this movie is, I want to say, just short of two hours, right? I think this this clip appeared around the 120 mark, right? Like the one hour, 20 minute mark, 22 minutes there, something somewhere around there, right? And I, I just finished watching it. I would say... I finished watching this film maybe about maybe like less than ten minutes ago, as as if I'm as time of recording this review, okay? And there the movie was good for a couple of laughs, I admit. Maybe like four or five laughs got me, I, I say I actually laughed out loud. But despite the fact that I only finished watching it about ten minutes ago, I gotta say I don't really remember a lot of the things that made me laugh 
out loud, right? Like this movie, and you'll know if you if you don't know at the end of the film that this movie was made by Warner Brothers, you're doing something wrong because they crammed that WB logo into every nook and cranny of this film. And I guess like plot-wise, story-wise, narrative-wise, it makes sense for them to do so. But I don't know. I just... It, it feels... This movie feels like it was made, funnily enough, by an algorithm, right? Because the plot of this film... And again, I don't want to spend too much time banging down the door when it comes to harping on the plot, right? Because the plot makes no difference. It doesn't really matter. All you're watching Space Jam, A New Legacy 4. Let's just call it Space Jam 2, okay? All you're watching Space Jam 2 for is to watch LeBron James play basketball with the Looney Tunes. That's the only reason you're watching it. That's the only reason you watch the first one. Let's be real, okay? And we'll talk about the comparisons from the first to the second one in a sec here. But the plot doesn't matter even a little bit, right? Like, the plot... Again, the plot, I mentioned the algorithm. Don Cheadle is the movie's villain, and he plays a character named Al G. Rhythm, okay? And he is a he is the the computer program that has designed every movie and TV show Warner Brothers, the studio, puts out, and he decides to wreak havoc on LeBron James's life after LeBron decides to turn him down, decides to turn his latest idea down, which would have been to digitize LeBron James and put him into every Warner Brothers property. So the, the movie kind of starts with you seeing, what would LeBron James look like if he was in Game of Thrones? What would he look like if he was in... Something else. I don't really even really remember the other ones they showed, right? But the point is, this is essentially a walking, talking advertisement for HBO Max, right? Because HBO Max is owned by Warner Brothers. And look, we've talked about HBO Max and Warner Brothers on this podcast before, right? Remember, uh, I think it was in it was like in the tail end of 2020. I'm trying to remember the timeline here, but either way, like there was a point in the past 12 months where we talked about how Warner Brothers made the huge decision in real life to put all of their movies that are coming out in 2021, day and date, and everything else included, uh, on their HBO Max streaming service, right? So when uh, Space Jam, for example, came out, you could watch Space Jam on HBO Max, provided you were a subscriber, and then you could also watch it in theaters, and same same goes for everything else, right? Of course, I, I'm in Canada, so it's a little different. I, I didn't, you know, there's no HBO Max here, so I, I ended up just paying to watch Space Jam 2. But I guess, like, the the entire, like, you would think the entire point of Space Jam 2 would be to, certainly LeBron James playing with the Looney Tunes, but you would think it would be to be more about actually making and then you watching a movie instead of it being essentially a two-hour commercial for all the different properties HBO Max has within it. And it's for that reason the movie feels like it was made by an algorithm. It almost feels like Warner Brothers dissed themselves. It was kind of weird, right? Like, they're like, oh, well, all our movies are made by algorithms. Yeah, no shit. It is a spot out by the most soulless corporate corporation Ever, right? Like the it just it felt like there was nothing of substance to this film because it was just a big commercial, right? And I think the the other thing about it too. So if you remember the first one, I guess we'll get into the comparisons right now. If you remember the first one, the plot of that one in a nutshell was aliens come from outer space and suck the powers from basketball players, right? Like I think. Uh, I want to say, uh, I think, was Larry Bird one of those players? I know um, Patrick Ewing was one of those guys. 
Charles Barkley certainly was one of those guys. I'm, frankly, I'm surprised considering they had Ernie Johnson play himself in this movie. I'm, I'm kind of surprised Barkley wasn't in this movie. But either way, like those kind of players, right? Like players who were very, very famous in the in the mid to late 90s, right? So whatever, not a big deal. But because like they weren't really in actually funnily enough the the monstar characters well i don't even remember what they were called before they were the monstars but the five colorful worm-like aliens actually do cameo in this movie and actually that might have been one of the whole one of the points i went oh cool but then again everything you say cool to in this movie is fueled entirely by nostalgia not because it's actually good right but either way uh, monstars aside the way they get the basketball uh, like powers from this movie is that I guess there was a point where LeBron's son used his some some device he invented to scan players a, as they're doing stuff. So at some charity event, he got hooked up with some of LeBron James's friends, i.e. Sue Bird and Diana Taurasi and uh, other NBA players such as uh, Damian Lillard and Clay Thompson and Anthony Davis. And I, I'm pretty sure all five of those players. Uh, voiced themselves, I think, which was kind of interesting. I gotta say, I, I I wonder, I wonder what kind of direction Damian Lillard and Anthony Davis got. I mean, LeBron James is teammates with Anthony Davis in real life, and he just like craps on his unibrow whole thing, right? But anyways, I I just like the fact that it was less cartoony and more of a soulless robot is trying to strip away people's identities and make them into these the goon squad. It felt less fun, and I think that was a big part of. A big part of why I didn't really like this movie, which is funny because the entire message of this movie is to be yourself and to have fun while being yourself, right? I don't know. It just it kind of blew me away how weird this film was. Like, there was a point where, uh, admittedly, this is the one joke I do actually remember that I, where I laughed aloud, was when you they're, they're down big at halftime and they need a big halftime speech. And what happens is uh, Sylvester goes to find... Michael Jordan, right? Of course, you know, we all know who Michael Jordan is and what his specific relation to Space Jam is. And uh, they introduce him in the same way he was introduced in uh, the original movie. And then out comes Michael B. Jordan. And someone, someone, one of the tunes yells, well, you couldn't get Michael A. Jordan, so you got Michael B. Jordan. First of all, that made me laugh because I feel like I've made that joke myself. And secondly, uh, he clearly didn't know what to say because he didn't mean to be there. So he uh, just decides to give him a pump-up speech by yelling, Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose, which is a clear reference to the time he was in Friday Night Lights, like the TV show where that was the motto of the school. That actually got a, a good chuckle out of me. But seriously, if that's like the high point of your film. I think you have failed as, a, uh, as an actual medium. I don't know. I just... I think back to what I enjoyed about the original Space Jam, and really all it was was Michael Jordan. Like, remember when he stretches his arm and he dunks the ball and he tongue out and you know he sh- he shakes the guy's hand and deal right? Like, it's just all of that kind of stuff plus the Looney Tunes doing their Looney stuff and the the, the gags on the court. That stuff was all in this movie. So if that's what you want, it's fine. I think you also have to remember it is a child's movie, but like. I don't really know, again, beyond it being a commercial for HBO Max, what the point of having, I don't know, like Elmer Fudd and Sylvester appear in an Austin Powers clip. 
other than to say, hey, Austin Powers is on HBO Max, right? Or what would be the point of having a character appear in Casablanca? Because this is, a, again, it's a child's movie. What the hell do kids know about Austin Powers or Casablanca, right? Like, what do they know about that? They even had, like, a Wonder Woman. It wasn't even a, the movie. It was, like, Wonder Woman, a comic book, where Lola Bunny is there and she is learning how to be an Amazon or something. I don't know, like... Again, the whole movie was an advertisement for HBO Max, and again, I don't have like an an inherent problem with any of the HBO Max properties because you know we all watch movies and TV. But I do have a problem with this being the spiritual successor to the first Space Jam because it has no soul. It, it's it's just so empty and meaningless and devoid of really any substance, right? Like, sure, the message of be yourself and father-son relationships and all that stuff, yeah, that stuff in a vacuum is important. But the way they delivered it in Space Jam, I got to say, it's not for me. It's not for me. I mean, I, I don't know if I've talked about this on the podcast, but I, I, I remember when the, the, tra- the first trailer came out, like the teaser trailer came out. I remember thinking to myself, yeah, this doesn't look like it's going to be great. And then the full trailer came out, and I thought, oh boy, this is going to be a train wreck. And I'm very pleased that I was right and that I didn't like sell myself short on that. Uh, but at the same time, it makes me sad. And again, I, I guess like to go back to the first Space Jam, Space Jam 1, or if that's what we're going to call it now, is not the greatest movie in the world, right? It doesn't exactly have tons of acting where you think to yourself, oh boy, like... This is the pinnacle of what we're seeing. Like, LeBron, if you're comparing him to Michael Jordan, he's fine, right? Like, LeBron, we already knew this. I said the word train wreck just a, little, a couple of seconds ago. Train wreck was that movie I think he was in, right, with um, with uh, Amy Schumer and Bill Hader. He was, he was good in that movie, which is probably what led him to believe he could continue being a decent actor. He's not terrible, right? He's not terrible. He delivers all the lines with the same verve as Michael Jordan did. But the funny thing is, much like the original Space Jam, when an actual actor sets foot on the screen, you think to yourself, man, LeBron stinks, <laughs> right? Like, whenever, um, whenever, gosh, I'm blanking on his name, Wayne Knight, whenever Wayne Knight, I was going to say Numid, whenever Wayne Knight or Bill Murray set foot on the screen in the original Space Jam, you thought to yourself, okay, they, they may be hamming it up, but they're, like, actually acting. Michael Jordan's just standing there delivering lines like he is, like, a, a piece of cardboard, basically, right? Again, LeBron James did the same thing, like, like we saw in the trailer, where you see him deliver that famous line. What in the Matrix hell? Yeah, look, that line landed exactly like he did in the trailer it was kind of funny right or this other line i'm a cartoon ah, i'm shorter than kevin hart again landed in the exact same way i don't have an inherent problem with it but then you have sonico martin green or wood harris or any of like even the cedric joe who played his kid who played dom dom james right any of the other players, Chris Davis, I think, played um, his best friend, Malik. I mentioned Ernie Johnson was in He's not an actor, so we won't count him. Lil Ray Lowry, you know, he's in it as well. Funny guy, right? I've met he he hosted the Oscars this year. I've enjoyed him in the in the, the, the roles we've seen him in over the last couple of years, dating back to Get Out. Like, as soon as an actual actor sets foot on screen, you think to yourself, oh boy, LeBron James ain't cut out for this. Stick to your day job, LeBron. Oh boy, I don't know. It's just... I think sometimes we can get caught up in saying, well, this movie's plot made no sense, so it's crap. And I think I have done that to a certain extent over the years. And maybe I'll probably do it again. And we get, I mean, lose the messaging of a movie. And as I said, the messaging of this is, is you know, be yourself and, and have fun and so on. But when it's delivered like this, I almost don't even think it matters. Honestly, this is as, 
like we like to crap on Marvel and a lot of other movies these days for being, you know, like again, spat out by algorithms and you know, we talked about it when we talked about Black Widow, right? Like don't don't color outside the lines. We've talked about that before and we, we again, we we will again certainly. But uh I don't know. With Space Jam a new legacy, it's just it's not all there, right? It's just it's just not all there. I th- I think this movie is perfectly fine for kids, but like as an adult, you're basically boiled down to watching all the references in the crowd, right? Like, there's, there was a part where Don Cheadle says, King Kong ain't got nothing on me, where he's clearly yelling, he's clearly imitating Denzel Washington in Training Day. Kids aren't going to know what that means. I guess they'll laugh when King Kong, the, the ape in the, in the, uh, in the, uh, the audience, crosses his, his arms and pouts. But, like, what, does, what value does that really provide, right? Like, in, you look into the crowd... And you see the Jetsons, and you see the Mask, and you see White Walkers from Game of Thrones. You see the Adam West Batman and Robin. You see the Arnold Schwarzenegger Mr. Freeze. You see, like, all, like, you see Pennywise the Clown, and you see, like, uh, you see um, the witch from The Wizard of Oz, whose name is um, completely blanking on, I'm blanking on right now, right? And, like, the, her flying monkeys. Like, you see all of those, and sure, cool, I guess, right? Beyond the fact that you know that Warner Brothers owns The Wizard of Oz, I suppose. But, again, there's no real point to it all other than saying, hey, after this movie, you want to watch Wizard of Oz? Come to HBO Max. We can help you out. You want to watch Game of Thrones? Come start your rewatch of Westeros-related things, right? I don't know. You guys know how I feel about it at this point. It's just, I think you have to decide where you fall on the uh, corporative, is that even a word? Corporative, right? The corporation-centeredness, uh, let's call it, of this movie. Um, and if you are as, uh, maybe strict is the wrong word, but if, if you are as annoyed by it, intruding on a watching of a movie as, or the creation of a movie as I am, but... I don't know. I, again, I hope I hope you had a better time watching it than I did because this movie had has zero to offer to anyone other than very young children who don't really know anything about either basketball or movies and just want to be entertained by flashing lights and sounds. That's that's where I'm at with Space Jam a new legacy. All right, next up on the docket, the first movie I saw with my butt in an actual movie theater seat. I laughed, I groaned. Um it was silly, it was fun. It is exactly what you expect, <laughs> I'll say that much. Let's get into the review for the latest entry into the Fast Saga, they're calling it now. A saga, which, I mean, that's probably the only way to describe a movie that has a series that has nine movies plus spinoffs. But either way, uh, here's my review for Fast and the Furious 9, or as we'll call it, Fast 9. Set the time for the battleground. Got a mystery to hunt you down. Trolls surround the hole, don't breathe, you're not safe underground. Political landscape shape has been polarized. Look, if you're tuning in to this review, right, you're seeking out a review of Fast and the Furious 9, F9, the Fast Saga, we'll just call it Fast 9 for the purposes uh, of this episode, right? But if you're looking for a review of Fast 9, I think, personally, you are looking to be validated about the things you already like about this franchise, because... If you have watched any of these movies, I would say at the very least dating back to The Rock's inclusion, which was in Fast Five, right? Because Fast and the Furious 1, Too Fast, Too Furious, and then Tokyo Drift. And Tokyo Drift does actually have a significant role to play as it pertains to Fast 9 specifically because the characters return, like those three characters, right? But apart from that, like... If you've watched, and, and then there was Fast 4, which was kind of like in the middle, right? It was sort of a sort of kind of reboot, sequel, co- continuation, whatever you want to call it. 
But Fast Five, I think, truly marks the demarcation point, let's say, right? It's the starting line almost. Or, or maybe it's the next lap. If we want to continue the car analogies, I don't really know. I drive my car, and that's it. I don't do any racing stuff, but I'll say that it, like Fast Five is where things kind of take a turn to get to where we are today, right? Like you can see the groundwork being uh, being laid, right? The uh, lanes being painted. Okay, I'll stop. I'll stop. Stop with the analogies. But you you know what I mean, right? Like Fast Five is where. All the things that Fast 9 were leading to, right? And Fast 6, certainly. Fast 7 was the, was a big one because that's when Paul Walker passed away during the production of the movie. Fast 8, certainly, as well. And now Fast 9. And I, we won't count Hobbs and Shaw because that's like a side story. But I guess, I guess all I'm saying is that if you've watched any of those movies dating back to Fast 5, you know exactly what kind of movie you're getting. You're getting a soap opera with cars. You're getting... Vin Diesel growling at, like, a subsonic levels, basically. Like, it almost sounds like sometimes when Vin Diesel talks, honest to God, it sounds like he's putting on a voice. It's a, like, you remember he was in The Iron Giant, the animated movie, right? No following Hogarth, right? <laughs> remember that? And, of course, that led to, uh, you know, years later, him voicing Groot in Guardians of the Galaxy and the rest of the Marvel movies, right? But it's just, it's interesting because there was a time... When the the movies Vin Diesel did, let's leave Iron Giant to the side for now, but he did Pitch Black, right? And then they did Chronicles of Riddick, which, which was a, which was a kind of sequel, right? He was in Saving Private Ryan, right? And then like he made Fast and the Furious, the first one, and it's like he found he did Triple X too. But when it came when it comes to Vin Diesel's career, it's like it's. Pretty clearly, I'll use the word demarcation again. It's very clearly demarcation. The demarcation point, let's say, is a better way of saying it, is Fast and the Furious, right? Because before, his career had so much promise. And I'm not saying his career is a failure by any means. But when you think of Vin Diesel, you think of Dominic Toretto. You don't think of Riddick at this point. You don't think of whatever that soldier's name was from Saving Private Ryan. You barely even think of The Iron Giant, and that's probably one of the best animated movies I have maybe ever seen, right? I don't know. It's just, it's really interesting to see how his career has gone. Now he's making movies like Bloodsport. Remember that came out? I didn't even, I didn't even watch that movie, and I don't plan on, plan on it, but... Fast and the Furious, you know exactly what you're getting from Dominic Toretto. Yeah, him growling at just the lowest frequencies your ears are capable of picking up. It almost sounds like he's putting on a voice at this point, but I mean, I guess that's just what his voice sounds like, especially as as he's gotten older. And I mean, a, a large part of Fast Five or Fast Five, Fast Nine is them just assembling their crew, interspersed by brief spouts of car ridiculousness i won't even say racing it's not they don't even really race in this movie anymore it's just they they actually used cars to get from point a to point b while doing cool stuff right the the uh, kind of the the kind of little something the little ooh the little something you want you want right that you get typically in every movie and this one it's magnets so if you don't believe in magnets if you think magnets are fake or you have some conspiracy theory about magnets oh boy you're not gonna like this one because magnets are a very large part of the plot of vast nine uh, it's funny because the driving is secondary now. I, I gotta say, like, the driving and the cool cars, they're secondary now. Because that's not really what they're about. They're about, they're spies. They're, like, spies, secret agents, superheroes, essentially. The movie does kind of, sort of, address that somewhat with um, with Roman, right? Tyrese Gibson's character, Tej, 
Ludacris's character, and I think her, her name is Ramsey, Natalie Emanuel's character, who was introduced. I don't even, to be honest, I don't even really remember which one she was introduced, but uh, she was in Game of Thrones, and now she's in Fast and the Furious, which is, you know what, good for her for making that jump, because she's like an integral part of this crew. Uh, and she has some pretty good moments in this one as well, but... I mean, by and large, the big money moments are given to Vin Diesel and I would say to Michelle Rodriguez, um, who have been in every single movie. Well, maybe not every single movie, almost every single movie, right? Vin Diesel has been in every one, if you want to count the Tokyo Drift one, but yeah, I don't know. Like, what do you, what do you want me to really say about Fast 9, right? The, the action was decent. There were some interesting fistfights. John Cena playing the younger brother, Jacob, and John Cena, you guys know I'm a... If not a John Cena fan, I'm at least a wrestling fan of the period right before John Cena became, like, ultra-famous, right? Like, the Rocks era, essentially, which is why I was super into it. I don't know if you guys saw that, uh, I guess that, you probably heard about this a couple years ago, but the the Rock and, and Vin Diesel having a feud, which is why the Rock is probably not going to be in any more Fast and the Furious installments other than Hobbs and Shaw, and that was a wildly successful spinoff, so I'm sure they're going to continue making those movies. But the uh, actual mainline Fast and the Furious movies, he's not going to be in, and actually during his recent press tour for Jungle Cruise, he actually said that, uh, I guess Vin Diesel had said back in, in May or June that, the feud was made up because he wanted to push The Rock to give a better acting performance, and some reporter asked The Rock about it during their press tour for Jungle Cruise, and he basically said that's a load of BS, essentially, right? And that he wishes everyone the best on Fast 9, Fast 10, and Fast 11, because they're doing kind of like a trilogy within this kind of ongoing series, and he said he's not going to be in them, which is kind of a bummer, because he... I, I would make the argument that even though Fast 5 is my favorite still of the entire franchise, including Fast 9... He is a large part of what made that movie so good, right? Like, he is the, like, the rock as the sort of villain. Like, he's not the villain because they have, like, they go up against that, like, the Brazilian, like, uh, mafia guy, right? But he is the antagonist in the sense that he is chasing around the rock for, or the Vin Diesel and, and their crew for much of this movie, right? But, anyways, Fast Nine. You know, they have some cool flashbacks when they get a, a young versions of Dom and Jacob, i.e. guys who just look a little bit enough like Vin Diesel and uh, and John Cena for you to believe it. Um, you know, family is important, so of course John Cena gets essentially redeemed at the end. Jordana Brewster comes back because she had been exiled because of uh, Paul Walker's untimely death and because, of course, Mia plays uh, Brian's wife, right? And so when she comes back, she is now part of the fold again. I thought it was, I've always thought it was interesting that when Paul Walker passed away, so his character's name is Brian, as we said, Jordana Brewster, Mia. Uh, so, of course, they have kids, right? But then, of course, in Fast Five, that was the one Michelle Rodriguez was not in. And so Vin Diesel gets together with a character whose name I forget, but it was, I remember the character was played by Elsa Pataki, who I believe is Chris Hemsworth's wife in real life. Um, and then she dies because, essentially, they had to write her out of the show um, and, and or the series, and Michelle Rodriguez comes back. And uh, they have a kid. So Elsa's out, Michelle is back, and... Now they're they're raising these this kid as their own essentially right, and they named this kid Brian, which always fascinates me because in the the universe of the Fast and the Furious movies, Brian the adult played by Paul Walker or who used to be played by Paul Walker, is alive. Like Paul Walker the actor is not alive, but Brian the character is alive, and they just kind of get around showing him essentially right. Like why why would Dom name 
his son after his alive friend. That's like the the weirdest thing in the whole wide world to me, right? They, if they wanted to pay homage to Paul Walker, this character's name should have been Paul. It should or it should have been Walker or something like that. It should not have been Brian. I don't understand. I don't understand. I I, I it, it's the most nonsensical thing. I you know that Vin Diesel had a hand in this, like the actor personally, because I guess he and Paul Walker were friends, but. I, I I probably talked about this during the Fast Seven and Fast Eight reviews, and I can I'll never let this go because it is the dumbest decision they could have possibly made. And you know what? As I'm talking to you guys about this, Elsa's in. Michelle, uh, Elsa's out. Michelle's in. Han is back. Uh, the guys from Tokyo, Tokyo Drift is back. They're back. Roman and Tej go to space. Ramsey's back. Like. It's all whatever. It's all whatever. The action is always unbelievable. It's always mildly entertaining. The the dialogue is silly. The flashbacks were fun. All that is fine, right? It's just I use the word soap opera. That's what this is at this point. It is the longest running movie franchise soap opera that you will see I think today. And I'm not going to count the Marvel movies because those movies do something a little different. You are getting the same product every time you watch a new Fast and the Furious movie, right? Like, whenever they come out with Fast 10, it's going to be more of the same. It's just like, like, you could watch all of the movies from Fast 5 all the way up to now, back to back to back to back to back, and it would be, like, it would just be like watching nine hours of the same movie or however many hours of the same movie. That's what it would be, right? So, um, look, to be clear, I'm not crapping on it. You know exactly what you're getting yourself into when you watch Fast 9, and it's fun. It's silly. It's stupid. Like, the kid who plays, like, young Brian, that made me laugh so many times in this movie. There's a part where, because they have a flashback, and you see that they are on some racetrack, I guess, Dom, the Dom's uh, father, Jack Toretto, I think his name was was a race car driver. He was like a, either like a NASCAR driver, or he was on his way to become a NASCAR driver. Anyways, he dies on the track. And that's a big kind of part of, of what fuels the conflict between Dom and Jacob later on in life and whatever. You know they get forgiven. We can move past that. But it's interesting because they go back to the racetrack at the end of the movie and Dom takes his takes Brian, like little Brian, and says and he says he growls at Brian, This is where I learned everything on this life. On this track, Brian. And Brian goes you did? <laughs> and then, like, like maybe five seconds later in the movie, they're uh, about to sit down to dinner, and Michelle Rodriguez says to little Brian, your mom always asked me to protect you, little Brian. And he goes, she did? <laughs> oh, my God. I got to say, I that it felt good to laugh like that in a theater and i swear to god the theater wasn't packed i went to see it in a vip cinema so it wasn't i was like i i I figured i'm gonna go see a movie for the first time might as well be in vip right here here in a cineplex theater in toronto and uh it was so funny everyone in the theater laughed like i gotta say i missed that feeling and it was so dumb and it was so worth it so the movie the movie gets a pass for that alone because that kid's only had like Five lines of dialogue. You did? She did? They did? Oh, good heavens. I will say this to wrap up. I recently watched Lost. I, I rewatched Lost from beginning to end. Michelle Rodriguez, Anna Lucia was her character in Lost. Um, I think she is in it until the either the end of the second season or beginning of the third season. She's in it for a decent chunk, right? She's a pretty big character for the part she's in. 
And I gotta say, Michelle Rodriguez does not age. Like a lot of those actors do. Vin Diesel, you can see a little uh, wear on the on the tire tread, right? A little bit. But M- Michelle Rodriguez is ageless. Like you know, we joke that Keanu Reeves is like a vampire or something. If he's a vampire, so is Michelle Rodriguez because that woman looks exactly the same. Which is absolutely remarkable, I gotta say. Like, Jordana Brewster, a little older. The guy who plays Han, he's a little older as well. Luda, a little older. Tyrese Gibson, sure. Michelle Rodriguez, not a second has passed since that woman was in the first Fast and the Furious movies. I got, I'm, certainly the look has changed, right? Her hair and the the outfit and so on. That Yeah, whatever. I mean, that, that's going to change because of time, but... The, the her actual face and and everything about her is exactly the same, which is remarkable. So um, maybe maybe I'm viewing it through rose colored glasses because I always did like Anna Lucia in Lost because she's so confrontational. And sim- same goes for um, uh, Letty. I was going to say Libby, but Libby's character in Lost as well. <laughs> but I, either way, whatever. Uh, you guys get the gist. Everyone in the Fast franchise, the Fast saga, knows their place, right? They stay in their lane. I mean, that's a, usually like a, that's usually a, um, kind of like, I mean, it's like a derogatory comment, let's say, right? But it's not in Fast and the Furious. It's very much a good thing because they know what their roles are. They know what the audience wants. You want to see Tyrese Gibson crack wise. You want to see Luda and Ramsey put him down. You want to see Vin Diesel growl about family. And you want to see Letty being a badass, right? That's what you want. And everyone else kind of fills in the blanks, essentially, right? And uh, I have no doubt that when Fast 10 comes around, Charlie Starron will still be menacingly growling at the screen. We'll still we'll get Jason Statham back if the post credit scene is any uh, indication. He might make a crossover back from Hobbs and Shaw. We'll see Helen Mirren again, and John Cena will be a big part of it as well, right? So, hey, I don't, I'm not going to complain because they're fun movies, but uh, Shakespeare, they're not. Let's put it that way. And the last movie on this episode of the Showtime Movie Podcast, and again, I always appreciate you guys sticking with me. Also, if you're just tuning in, if you're just like skipping ahead to the timestamp at this point, hey, you know what? More power to you, because that's why I put them in there in the first place. So uh, let's get right into the review for uh, the latest... I don't know if we'll call it a reboot, but certainly the latest entry in uh, attempt, let's say, at creating a new franchise, right? The latest attempt at a G.I. Joe franchise starting with Snake Eyes. I'm on a new level. I'm on a new level. I'm on a new level. It's funny, when we talk about properties that were created in the 80s, well, I don't know if Transformers was actually created in the 80s, and I don't know about G.I. Joe either, but they were certainly popularized in the 80s, right? And I was born in 1990, I'm 31, and so as a result of that, you would think that something like Transformers and G.I. Joe was kind of like like just slightly before my time. Like I would say, in terms of nostalgia, certainly I have some nostalgia for Transformers and G.I. Joe, but... Not as much as other people might, but at the same time, because of how I was raised with my cousins, um, you know, my, my brother wasn't born until 1998, my sister until 2000, so they grew up with a whole other sect of things, right? I grew up, essentially, because I was an only child for eight years, I grew up with what my cousins grew up with, what they liked, because whenever we hung out, we watched what they liked, and we watched what they watched, and so on, right, because they were older than me. And so because of that, I grew up watching Back to the Future and Star Trek and Star Wars and Indiana Jones and Die Hard and all the other action movies of the late 70s, early to mid to late 80s and early 90s certainly as well. And that extended to Transformers and G.I. Joe. So when I saw the trailer for 
Snake Eyes, and Snake Eyes was a really cool character that I really liked when I was younger. My cousins had the toys, they had the Storm Shadow toys too, and certainly the other Joes, but Snake Eyes was the coolest looking one. And I mean, that's certainly, I'm sure, a big part of why they made a movie about him and not like the other G.I. Joes. Um, and, and you know what? I went to go see this movie with maybe not high hopes, high expectations, but certainly average hopes. And it's unfortunate to say that the movie, like, probably still fell short right like it probably is a bad movie um and it and i'm only saying probably instead of definitely because of that nostalgia factor right i i really am only saying it because it was cool to see snake eyes and it was cool to see storm shadow but it's not it's funny because it's it wasn't inherently cool to see them right what it was cool to see was Henry Golding and Andrew Koji B Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow respectively, right? Iko Uwes, I think, uh, and I, I always fear I'm mispronouncing his name, but of course from the raid, and he is one of the the two masters that train ninjas, essentially. We don't have to go over the whole plot, but essentially, if you watch the trailer, you know, Snake Eyes, who is from nowhere, it doesn't even have his own name, uh, it saves the life of Andrew Koji's character, Tommy. And I think his... They refer to him as Tommy. I think that's like an Americanized way of saying it. His full name was like a very Japanese, like Tommy Aragaki, I think, or something like that. It was because like, he's part of like, he is the, the crown prince, let's say, of this clan. And will be the leader of the clan at some point. And so he invites Snake Eyes to be his like, his brother, essentially, brother in arms to protect the clan back in Japan, right? That's essentially the plot. And uh, Snake Eyes trains to become a ninja, as the ninja we uh, know and love, let's say, of uh, G.I. Joe lore. The problem with it is that, one, the action itself, while cool from afar, is so choppily cut that it's hard sometimes to tell what's going on. So it's kind of like shaky cam, um, which you guys know I'm not a huge fan of to begin with. But when shaky cam with action scenes is done right, you get some really cool stuff, right? But the camera is so shaky that sometimes it's like hard to tell what is happening. And maybe it's done intentionally to obscure the fact that it's probably not Henry Golding beating the crap out of people. It's probably like a stunt double, which is fine. I can, I, I you know, you do what you got to do when, when, you know, you're not going to make your star learn like the ways of the ninja, <laughs> essentially, right? I'm sure he did some of his own stunts, but, you know, you get it. It's like, it's part of filmmaking. But it was so, it was a little too jarring, in my opinion, right? So that was one problem I had with it. Even though, by and large, like, the large action set pieces were pretty cool. Um, but that part itself wasn't, you know, it kind of made me dislike it a little bit. And secondly, this movie really races. Like, I forget how long it is, but it's, it's probably, like, just around two hours, right? Like, not including the credits. And... In the, in the movie's first, I would say, 20 minutes, okay, they get through an entire flashback story. They get to present day. The dialogue does some heavy lifting because you learn that uh, Snake Eyes, as a child, witnessed his father's uh, murder. And then I guess he swears revenge and that's influenced his life as an adult, right? And so there's a line early on where essentially the movie's main bad guy, who turns out to be the main bad guy, he basically says... So I heard, I heard around that your father died when you were a young kid. It's like, yeah, okay, like that. I suppose that's an efficient way to uh, to to know that the to, to, for the villains who try and recruit him, I suppose. But it just felt kind of a little ham-fisted, and there are so many moments like that. Like the other moment that really stuck out to me, like a sore thumb, 
was when they introduced the other G.I. Joes. Because you think, you kind of think to yourself, like, how on earth is this going to tie into Cobra and G.I. Joe? Because at the, at the time Snake Eyes joins uh, Storm Shadow, Tommy, he basically is like, he doesn't know jack squat about what G.I. Joe is, what Cobra is, and it's kind of like through happenstance that he learns that Cobra are terrorists and G.I. Joes are a bunch of... Like, it's funny because they learn that they learn that G.I. Joe is a... What do they call it? Like, I think they call it an anti-terrorist organization. But they make no mention of it being, like, an American operation, which I believe it was in the cartoon. But either way, whatever. Who, who really cares? But it just... It was so ham-fisted. Like, they're like, huh, Cobra's involved. Well, we better call Scarlet the G.I. Joe. Cut to Scarlet in a... In a almost in a movie theater. In, a, in an airport. And she... And for, I guess, just because she's a part of G.I. Joe, Cobra is hunting her. So a bunch of guys jump her in the bathroom. She beats the crap out of them, just so you know she is capable. And then she disappears for the rest of the movie until the very end. And she comes in with a couple of Uzis and is kills a bunch of people and and then oh yeah the Baroness is there and there you go right it just seemed kind of like I get it because I guess the movie is called Snake Eyes colon GI Joe Origins or GI Joe Origins Story or something like that. And I suppose they had to do that, right? Like they had to have other characters outside of Snake Eyes and outside of Storm Shadow. But I cared so little about those two. Uh, the woman who played Baroness, the woman who played, you know, Scarlet, I'm sure they're hoping to be in another, like, a full-fledged G.I. Joe movie. But if they if they come out and they're like, you want to watch a movie about Scarlet? I could not care less about that character because... I don't know. It's just like, like I don't really care about any of the other characters, like Roadblock and all the other ones that sound vaguely like Transformers anyways. Nah, you know what? Pass on those characters. Snake Eyes is the only one who is remotely interesting, and again, that's why they made this movie. Um, but, again, the nostalgia stuff only takes you so far. You're still watching a movie. You still want these actors to be good. And, <laughs> by and large, by and large, everyone outside of Henry Golding and Andrew Koji are fine. Right? Samara Weaving, I think, is the woman who plays Scarlet. She's fine, I guess, right? But she's not why you tune in. You want to see Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow? And you know what? I will say my one praise of this film is that Golding and Koji are cool. They are so cool. Henry Golding I have watched in a number of movies, right? Like, there was that... What was the one with with Anna Kendrick and Blake Lively? Was it A Simple Plan? A Simple Favor? I forget what that movie was called. But either way, he was like the conniving husband in that one, right? He was great in that movie. We, we don't have to talk too much about Crazy Rich Asians. I love that film. He was a big part of why it was so good because he was effortlessly charming. And then uh, he was also one of the kind of sleazy bad guys in um, Guy Ritchie's movie The Gentleman, which is one of the movies I think I saw before the shutdown. But anyways, he was good in that too, right? And here he is in, in Snake Eyes as the titular character. And he is great. Like, Henry Golding is just effortlessly charming in literally everything he does. I saw a Variety headline the other day saying that we should give some consideration to Henry Golding as the next James Bond because he is English, right? He has an American accent on this one, and it's fine. A couple times where he says, it's been a long time, and you're like, oh, okay, his, his English accent's coming through. But you know what? That's fine. It doesn't really matter all that much, but... Uh, I think you should give some serious consideration to Henry Golding as James Bond because that he just like he he's a badass, but he, and he's cool and he's handsome, 
and he has the posh accent. You know what I mean? Like I, uh, people who say that James Bond needs to be white, I I completely wholeheartedly disagree. James Bond needs to be English. That's what James Bond needs to be. He doesn't need to be anything else. He, I, I would venture to I would venture to say James Bond needs to be also be a man, but that's a whole other conversation. Like if you want to have Jane Bond and have have a badass woman who drinks and shoots people and stuff, that's perfectly cool but then you're not that's not what james that's not james bond it's a whole other character right but that's again different conversation for another day but henry golding is so absolutely phenomenal and uh, andrew koji i gotta say he might have stolen the show from henry golding a teensy teensy bit because his storm shadow is so cool like he there's a moment where he because because Storm Shadow's whole thing is he dual wields like katanas essentially right and for a bunch of the a bunch of the opening of the movie in that first twenty minutes he only uses one and then a bunch of guys with katanas rush him he gets one and then he manages to get a hold of another one and there's it's like a slow mo part with this cool music playing when he comes he brings the katanas down to either side of his hips and then he just dices these fools like I gotta say the movie in large part was average to mediocre. And he was probably my favorite part, and I just spent a whole bunch of minutes gushing over Henry Golding, right? So I think Andrew Koji is fantastic. If you want more of Andrew Koji, I think I've mentioned it briefly on the podcast before, but the TV show on HBO Max, I think in Canada, it's available on Crave. It's called Warrior, and he is my, maybe not my favorite part, but he is one of the parts that makes it so great. And uh, he is, again, great as Storm Shadow. Again, another ham-fisted moment at the end where the Baroness meets up with Storm Shadow. It's funny because he's not referred to as Storm Shadow at all in the movie. And then at the very end, like in the post credit scene, he goes, like, they're like, hello, Tommy, I'm here to make you a deal. And then he goes, Storm Shadow, call me Storm Shadow. And then it's like, oh, yeah, we knew that, though. <laughs> we kind of knew. I think there's a part, they allude to it uh, earlier on where he goes, where a woman goes to her, him and he goes, you have a look on your face again. You look like the shadow of a storm has passed over your face. Again, I had to like stifle a laugh. So I was like, who writes this? Like who who wrote that? It was like, oh yeah, that's what fans want to hear. Like they already know he's Storm Shadow. I don't know. Like give me a break, you know? Last thing I'll talk about real quick is I think... The movie did suffer from pacing, which was that it, it frankly went up, went by way too quickly, right? Like, things just flashed by. Um, there were some odd audio issues as well, I thought. Like, there was, a, like, a couple times where a scene would end on a character going, we got to do blank, and then it would cut to a character doing blank, right? So, there, for example, um, the, the, the woman who is the chief of security, she goes... Where's Snake Eyes? And then it cuts to Snake Eyes, like, running through the forest or something, right? In the scene... So when she says, where's Snake Eyes? Instead of it saying... Instead of it being a clear audio, it's like... It, what it sounds like is this. It sounds like, where's Snake Eyes? And then it cuts... And, and it's like it's like they faded it down before they were supposed to. It's the strangest thing. It, it, was, it happened multiple times, which made me think... Either they didn't notice or there was something wrong with it, like the actual movie, because that really, like, it, it was jarringly noticeable, I would say, right? So that was another thing. But uh, I guess the last thing, really, is that it's hard to uh, forget. I was going to say unremember, but it's the same thing, right? <laughs> it's hard to forget um, Young Hyun Lee, who played Storm Shadow in uh, G.I. Joe Retaliation. I think he was also in 
the first G.I. Joe movie as well, right, with um, with Channing Tatum. But uh, he, he was uh, Storm Shadow in Retaliation. He had a much bigger part in Retaliation. And I've always liked him. And it's interesting because Andrew Koji, his version of Storm Shadow, I think... I like it a little better because you get to see again it's an origin movie so you get you get to kind of see how he becomes like quote unquote evil but uh, it was it was still pretty interesting I would say to watch and uh, it was hard for me not to compare them because I really like Young Hyun Lee I mean he was in I think he was in the Red movies right remember those movies with Helen Mirren and um, Bruce Willis and Morgan Freeman and so on he was in the Good the Bad and the Weird which is also a fantastic western like a Korean western if you haven't seen that movie tremendous film i love that movie great action movie um so that was another thing he certainly they have their own takes on the characters but it's just interesting to compare it because i thought for retaliation apart from the rock um young hyun lee is probably the best part of that movie in my opinion and then the the final thing on uh, on snake eyes is i mentioned Iko Uwais, and again i really hope i'm not mispronouncing his name i can't believe they cast this man in a movie had they set up a scene where like, a dozen guys rush him, right? And it's like, oh, he's the badass master who trains Snake Eyes. He's Snake Eyes' master. You think Snake Eyes is badass? Well, here's the guy who made him badass. And they not only do not show Snake Eyes throughout the course of the movie really getting much in the way of ninja training at all. He kind of goes from being a raw but talented fighter to being the world's best ninja, and you never see any of it. That's one big problem. The other half of it is simply that they set up this big fight with Iko Uwais, and then they cut away from it to show Scarlet like landing at the estate. And then a couple minutes later, after some other scenes, they cut back to Uwais finishing off the last guy. You cast one of the coolest martial arts action actors alive today, and you did not show him beating the piss out of guys. Why bother casting him? Then it was absurd. That was the mo- that easily was the most absurd part of the movie because you thought i thought to myself oh here we go here we go we're gonna see him kick the ass of some poor poor saps and then you don't see him do a single thing i that really bothered me they did it again in a in a much less like pointed way later on but my god that that ooh, that rubbed me the wrong way that alone if i was giving it like star ratings or like number ratings that would drop it a whole number or star for me because that's like that's just too much like come on why even bother right but either way the action, again, the, the choppiness of the editing detracts from it, but I think the charm that Golding brings and, like, the the menace and, like, calculation you see, the, the ruthlessness, let's say, from, uh, from Andrew Koji, I think, does sort of make up for it. But ultimately, I think Snake Eyes is a pretty mediocre movie. I, I would watch a second one. I would. I for sure would. But if it means that they get less screen time in favor of people like Scarlet and the Baroness and the rest of the G.I. Joes, then you know what? I might I might take a pass on that one, too. That's it for reviews on this episode of the Showtime Movie Podcast. That's all from me today. Uh, if you have any thoughts on Space Jam, on Fast 9, or on Snake Eyes, you can uh, drop me a tweet if you want, at S-N-S-A-L-L-I, so S-N-S-A-L-L-I, with two L's, uh, at show, S-H-O, Time Movies on Twitter as well, or uh, you can always hit up the uh, website as well, which is just www.showtimemovies.com, right? Again, no W on the shows. Uh, but uh, again, always appreciate you guys listening, always enjoy interacting with you all on Twitter, 
I think uh, next week I'll be going to go see The Green Knight. I think I've spoken about that movie before. I, w- I want to see Dev Patel be hot and sad and reenact a an Arthurian legend. I want to see that, right? And that movie has been, you know, I think it was supposed to headline the South by Southwest Festival last year in Texas, I want to say. And then, of course, COVID happened, so that festival didn't even take place. So that movie is hitting theaters next Friday. I'm recording this a week before The Green Knight hits theaters. So I will be seeing that with my roommate. We have been joking about that movie for the better part of two years, and I cannot wait to see it. So for sure seeing that. But funnily enough, after Green The Green Knight comes out, I will probably be taking a hiatus from going to the movie theater, even though I just talked about how much I love going because it will be my wedding at the end of August, and my fiance, my soon-to-be wife, uh, Arvindi, she said to me, she, okay, she said to me that, look, I have no problem with you going to see movies in theaters. Seems pretty safe, but just on the off chance you go and someone else tests positive, contract contact tracing will demand you quarantine for two weeks. So she's afraid that the wedding's on the twentieth of August. So if she's afraid that I guess if I go. What's the before? What's 14 days before the 20th? The 6th, I guess, right? The 6th or later. She's afraid if I go see a movie and someone that I go see it with, whatever, contact tracing, got a quarantine, I'll be quarantined for the wedding. Which, you know what, is a valid excuse because we have put so much time and effort into planning this wedding. Uh, so I, I have no problem doing that, but you better be sure that I will be seeing a lot of movies on demand, and then as soon as the 21st comes about, I will be going to see every movie that I missed for the month of August, right? But uh, it, it's luckily it's not too many things. Like, I think it basically comprises, it comprises of uh, Venom, um, a couple other Oscar-y kind of movies, right? Um, Dune and The Last Night in Soho don't come out until September. Shang-Chi doesn't come out until September either. So, like, I'm certainly going to be missing a couple of things, but not a ton of things. So, um, you know, you guys know I'm a little lax with uploading these episodes regardless. So, hopefully we'll get, like... The Green Knight and Jungle Cruise in for the beginning of August because Jungle Cruise will be a Disney Plus movie, and then and then we can just wait until afterwards. But in case you're wondering like what the schedule is like, that's just the reason why the wedding is at the end of August, and then after that it is back to normal. Hopefully by then I'll also know about tips. Still haven't heard back from them. I w- I think that probably means it's a no go if, if I had to guess because they send out other things like log into this blank thing but like they don't i don't have a login so i think i'm just on the mailing list because i asked to be a couple years ago but i don't actually get any credentials but hey if i'm wrong i will be pleasantly surprised what do we always say right uh keep your expectations low and you'll never be disappointed right so there you go uh, but uh, for now, though, uh, thank you, as always, for listening to this latest episode of the Showtime Movie Podcast. I'm show your host, and until next time, as always, have a great night. I'm a nice switcher, big tank, tank filler, real killer, die for my gang member, gun driller, dope man, dope dealer, gorilla, bank, bank, line switcher. Foot on the gas, yeah, I'm lane switching. I cannot show them where I'm at, could they say it's snitching. I give my killie the green light, yeah, okay, the killings. I take the corner, window down, you see the chain swinging. Speed demon, and we ain't watching police, nah, before they see me, I seen them. You hear my dogs barking hungry, so you know I gotta feed them. I told my girl, hold on to your weave. I'm in the whip, bobbing and weaving. Foot to the floor. You see me speeding, I'll do the job and I'm leaving.